Chodesh Tov, everybody. We're going to start. We are opening a new book. Woo! You see, when you do like I have the whole thing together, like you lose the, you lose the effect of like we're starting a new book because like yeah, I'm back at the beginning. Vayikra. I have a whole new saber. I'm like I. I, I, would, I don't want to have to crack the binding because we don't crack the binding, but yes, we're starting a new safer. Chomesh Vayikra, Rosh Chaydesh, today's Rosh Chaydesh. Nisan, and as we heard upstairs from Nomi so nicely, it's, we're starting the dedication of the Mishkan uh, by, the, by the princes of the tribes. And, um, and one of the things that I just want to say for a second, because I think it's very relevant to us, um, that if you actually look at what they brought, Every single one brought the same thing. Okay, the parsha that it comes from is from Parsha Nusso. It happens to be Avramel's parsha. It is the longest parsha in the entire Chumash, but half of the parsha is copy paste, copy paste, copy paste, with the names changed. Um, and one of the things that Hasidus talks about a lot, like why did the Torah just say, and on the second day this one brought, and the third day this, and the fourth day, because in life we all do the same thing often but our intention is so different. There are actually different Mepharshim that track the intentions of the different Nesim, of what their, what their meditation was and what they came up with. Their end result was exactly the same, but their thought process behind it was totally different for each and every one of them. So, uh, so here we are, we're starting Nisan, and sometimes we feel like what is important or vital or special about what I'm doing, and I want to point out that the Nesim didn't think that. They didn't say, like, it's day five, the, we, this is, like, fifth time doing exactly the same thing. That wasn't their attitude at all. Their attitude was, I get a chance to serve Hashem in a way that is so personal to me. Okay, so it looks like the other guys. It doesn't matter, but it's mine, and it's my inspiration, and it's my, you know, my kavana, my intention behind it. So I want to give us first, before we even start, I want to give us a bracha that we not be distracted by what other people are doing. They're doing it like us, they're doing it differently than us. It doesn't matter. We have to like be able to be, in Hebrew we say be shalem, to be complete and solid with what it is that we're doing. And it doesn't actually matter if it looks like a lot of other people are doing the exact same thing. Hashem is waiting for our part. And, and that's the first thing, I think the, the first inspiration that we can get from the Nesim, and it's like, oh my gosh, we're starting the first Nasi. Today's Yehuda, Nachshad Benavidadav is bringing his carbon today. And, and, do we want, you know, I, in alignment, I'm not even opening this can of worms as I say this, right? But, because um, Nachshan is like such an easy thing. Like, like what was, what's the first characteristic that you think of when you hear of Nachshan? Anybody who remembers, what, what did Nachshan do? Nachshan ben Aminadav, what did he do? Went into the water. Went into the water, right? So when you talk about what is the energy that's going on, it's like, boom, we could do this. We don't have to, we could be the leader, not the follower. And then, so then it's like, do I want to like say, and every day we should think about the Nasi and the tribe, and, and I was like, mm, too much. Like, Naksha's an easy one, but really we should be, we should, we should if we're able to, because we do say, Yihiratsan, that if this is my tribe, I should, it should be as if I brought this carbon. So if we do have brain cells to think about the tribe and the day and what does it mean, you know, and it informs us. If you want to text me what you, what you thought of for the day, I would totally love to read it. Okay. Chumash Vayikra, which we're starting is in, the, in five. Chumash Vayikra is number three, which means it is the center, okay? And just like in a person, the spine holds us all up, 
Imagine that those arms to the right and to the left are Bereisha Shemais and Bamidbar and Devarim. But if you don't have Vayikra in the middle to stabilize it, then all the stories, which we know are more than just stories, but at a first glance, they look like a bunch, like they look like mostly stories. Um, if you don't have the spine in the middle, then nothing has real solidity. So if, did anybody have a chance to look at, at, at the Parsha this week? Not at all. Not at all? Right. That's a lot. I looked at the Daily Wisdom, but I didn't Okay. Well, that's a good start. Starting with the Daily Wisdom is good because if you looked at this Parsha, it's not like we're coming from like the stories of like Exodus and plagues and da-da-da excitement. And it's not. Okay? It's, it's actually not. What's interesting is that in Jewish tradition, they always said, that little children who are pure, when they start to learn Torah, start from Vayikra. Now, if you actually look at the partial, which we're going to look into in a second, it is detailed. It is detailed. That's a nice word. It's a detailed. Does anybody know what we're talking about in this partial? Let's go. Sacrifices. Okay, we're starting... All the offerings, whether you call them offerings, whether you call them sacrifices, whatever you want to call them, we're talking about different, and we're going to, we're going to discuss it at, at greater length, so I'm going to just throw this in here now. We're talking about different ways to connect to God that seem unusual, perhaps not in line with 2023, um, and, but, but so much detail. The animal could be from this species or this species or this species for this sacrifice, the animal has to be up until two years old for that sacrifice. It has to be over two years old. If you have to, that very, 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 very detailed. And the thing that is, oh, Amber, I'm going to write on the board. I'm not going to erase that because that was really cool. Um, okay. And if we know, okay, that's the first, I'm checking out all the markers. That was garbage. Okay. Nope. This one's good. Okay. Carbon, which is the Hebrew word for offering, sacrifice, whatever you want to call it. What's our root? Karov. What does it mean, Karov? To be close. To be close. So whenever we're talking about a sacrifice, whatever word you want to call it, um, the root and the headspace has to be, how am I drawing close? And this is my little chalant over here. You do not have to, because I'm going to, this is mine, so you don't have to buy it. Um, In any relationship, when you want to show the other person that you feel close to them, it usually entails giving. And giving is a soft word that also is sacrifice. Often. It isn't. You know, we think sacrifice is like, oh my gosh, it's like awful, horrible, terrible, impossible. Sometimes it's like being the one to take out the garbage when you don't really want to. And sometimes sacrifice is getting up in the middle of the night with a crying baby and letting your partner sleep. And sometimes sacrifice is being nice to somebody who you don't want to be nice to. Now, are those sacrifices like Isaac, you know, the, the binding of Isaac? No, but are they sacrifices? Yes, and every time we do a movement of sacrifice, it's really karov. We're showing somebody that we want to be close. We want to have a connection. And really, really, if you look at this partial that way, it's Hashem saying, I want to be close to you. I want to be connected to you. And this is a way that it's going to happen. Now, we'll, we're going to look into some of the, what's going on over here. And then we're going to 
try to make some sense of some of the stuff that's going on, not all of it. So if you look inside the Chumash, Perak Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, we're starting off from the beginning. It's Vayikra, the name of the Parsha, the name of the book is Vayikra. What does Vayikra mean? And he called. And he called, okay? The first thing it, it says, it means, and he called, okay? Now, so let's start reading the Pasuk. Vayikra El Moshe, and he called to Moshe. Thank you, who might we be talking about? There's a new book, right? So Rashi says, Va, it starts with an, and he called, which means we're linking this Parsha to last week's Parsha. If you remember, at the end of Chomish Shemos, the Mishkan is built. Thank you, Shula, for looking back to actually see what it says. The Mishkan is actually built, and the cloud of Hashem covers, and Moshe and Aaron are not actually able to get into the Mishkan. And so this, it's going to be a process, and they obviously are going to get in, but, um, so, so Vayikra is, and Hashem called to them and say, come in, okay? So Hashem, so Vayikra Moshe, and he calls to Moshe. Oh, this title, I can't find the next word. Vayedabra Hashem love, and Hashem speaks to him, Me'ohel Moed, from the tent of meeting to say, and he's going to start saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, Adam Kiakar Mikem Karben Hashem, a person from amongst you who wants to bring a sacrifice to Hashem. Then it lists all different kinds of animals. Minha behema, minha bakar, minha tzayn, takrivas karbanchem, bring your sacrifice from the big domesticated animals, the little domesticated animals, the other kind of animals. I am clearly not a farmer. I do not. I know. So like in my chumash, they have like all these little cute pictures. Um, and, and in the living Torah with, by Rabbi Ari Kaplan, Rabbi Ari Kaplan, he has lots of pictures. Sort of the Torah designates 10 species of kosher animals, and he lines everything into one of those species. Because we know species isn't a one, it's a. Oh, it's a species. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, and then it starts, and the first thing that we're going to start talking about is an Ola sacrifice. Okay. Now I want to pause for an Ola sacrifice. Ayin Lamed Hey, if you look in the Chomish, it's in Pasuk Gimel. Okay. An Ola sacrifice is a sacrifice that is totally burnt up, okay? All parts of the sacrifice get offered on the, no, all parts of the animal get offered up on the altar, okay? It talks about it has to be, a, a, it has to be male, it has to be complete, you bring it to the Olamoid, and one of the things that's very important to do in any sacrifice, if you see in Pasuk Dalet in verse 4, you put your hands on the animal and then it's your, and then somebody's going to sacrifice, somebody's going to shecht it and they're going to bring, they're going to spritz. Is that a word in English also? Spritz. Spritz? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> whatever. It might be an angry. I don't know. So you, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. So then, and some of the blood gets spritzed onto the mizbeach, onto the altar. And it's interesting that for the Ola sacrifice, it's actually, the Kohen does it with his fingers. And he pictured that if the altar is a square, he spritzes it at two different corners so it goes on four walls. Oh. You see, if I spritz something here, it's going to go that way. So it's going to go on two. And on that side, I'll spritz it and it's going to go to the two walls. If anybody ever does carbonus in the morning, they talk about uh, a gift that it has two that is four. That's what it means. You make two spritzes, but it goes onto four places. Okay? Yeah, so the Ola they do with, he does with his, his hands. And then an Ola sacrifice, after they prep it, all gets burnt. The whole animal gets burnt. And then this, the, 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 the Pasuk is going to talk about different sacrifices. 
we're talking about obviously it'll take a whole animal you have to cut it on whatever we're, we're skipping the the butchery parts of the, of the conversation okay and then we have this other conversation about bird offerings how do you do bird offerings and then we have meal off i think meals are yeah then we have meal offerings carbon mincha basically picture we're going in sliding scale of price of animal a bird grain because because Hashem understands that no matter how much you want to connect, sometimes there are financial or other issues that are going to stand in, not in your heart, but in the practical end of it. And Hashem says, every single one of those, if the heart is there, then it doesn't matter if you're bringing a cow, if you're bringing a bird, if you're bringing a, a, a little bit of gray, a little bit of the flour, and what we spoke about it once about the pizza, how much gets splurred, how much gets all of those. It doesn't matter what you're doing. How are you doing it? Not what are you doing. At the same time, the Torah does say that pers- a person has to give a, something in comm- that's commensurate with what they're able to give. You look like you have a question. I have a question. Yes. <laughs> How would Hashem expect them to do this in the Mishkan if they're in the desert and it's like not easily available, you know? What's not easily available? They left Egypt with, so they emptied Egypt out. What's not easy? Manor? What's not, what's not easily available? Are they, like, obviously they're, they're living off the mana, but like. They all had animals. They're going to run out of animals at some point though. Okay. The nature of animals speak to the farmers. Then <laughs> animals beget more animals. That's first of all. Um, <laughs> Okay, a cycle of life, exactly. So, um, and, and the Torah describes how much they left Egypt with. They weren't running out of animals anytime quickly. Um, so that's, that's definitely something to think about. And remember, it doesn't have to be an animal. It could be a bird. It could be grain. It could be all different kinds of other stuff. The question is, what's the heart behind it? Um, um, the, and then it, we're going to continue to discuss different animals, uh, different, sorry, different kinds of sacrifice. There's... Um, a, a sin offering. There's something called a um, something called a uh, a shlamin acri- ax, uh, I'm like tripping over my words. There's a shlamin sacrifice, shalem, which means complete or peace, where everybody gets some, so that the kohen gets some. Some gets put on the uh, on the altar. Some goes to the person. Blah blah blah. All different kinds of stuff. Okay. I want to pause the conversation of sacrifices for a second. We're going to come back to it because it's not all here just for no reason. But I want to back up a second and I want to, and I want to start from the beginning. Okay? Because the, it, the, the, it's interesting, by the way, just before, before, I stop, before I close the conversation of sacrifices, the last sacrifice that's listed here is called a, a carbon olivierid, an ashtub olivierid. If you, there's like a guilt, there's a guilt offering and then there's like um, a scaled guilt offering. What do you do if you're not sure if you did something wrong? Right? What if you're not sure? So if I know I did something wrong, I need to give a sacrifice. What if I'm not sure if I did something wrong? And the Gemara gives example that I know this is like in 2023, we don't do this kind of stuff, but there's two uh, bits of fat on the table and the person ate one. And there's some parts of the fat that you're allowed to eat and some parts, which is considered chela, which is doesn't look any different. It doesn't look any different, but that has to be burnt on the, on the altar. And he ate one piece and afterwards he found out oh, one of them was Caleb. I wasn't allowed to eat it. So he doesn't know if he did anything wrong, right? It's an interesting little thing and, and such human, uh, human, whatever, human nature 
that somebody who has to bring a sacrifice when they're not sure they did anything wrong has to actually give a very, very expensive sacrifice because of the tendency for us to say, I didn't do anything. I didn't really do anything. Like, I don't think I did anything wrong. Like, that place of justification, and sometimes, this is again Rivka Marga's challenge to take it or leave it, sometimes we're in a relationship with somebody and we're not sure if we hurt their feelings or not. When you know you hurt somebody's feelings, like, you know what you got to do. Like, you have to be a big enough girl to actually do it. But when you're not really sure, then it's like, it, it's, a bigger, it's a bigger conversation. It's a bigger Iber Lebanish. It's like a whole bigger deal, you know? Um, and I think that's a similar idea. When, we, when we're in a place where we, we're so not keeping track of what's going on, we don't even know if we did something wrong. That's always a worse place to be than to say, I made a mistake. I messed up. Let me fix it. Blah, blah, blah. Like that's always a better place to be. Okay. Anyway, let's go back to the, I just thought it was such a cool thing and I had to, yes. What is this called? An oliviorid. Up and down. Okay. <laughs> it's like a sliding scale. A is it more thing. expensive than sin sacrifice? Yes. Like, like, um, uh, the Gemara says like, uh, a sin offering has to be at least, I forgot the biblical coins, like one of those, mm-hmm. but the oliviorid is three of a different currency, which is actually 38 of that first one. It's like exponentially more expensive. It's like not a little bit more, it's a lot more. But okay? How about work if I can't afford to give such a big sacrifice, but well, you know you need to like. Okay, so, so remember you also. Everything in Judaism, and I, and I think it's really true in life, there's a sliding scale. Maybe not like if you're going to an Ivy League school, there's no sliding scale. But in life, and, and for sure in Tyra, there was always a sliding scale. Like this is, if you could afford this, then this is what you should be giving. If you should, could afford this, then that's what you should give. And if this is what you should, everybody could afford the, you know, flower sacrifice. Yeah. So even if it has to be, you know, I don't know if you could bring an olive oil from a set flower, but I, I'm just saying like, there's a certain place where we all could do it a little bit. And it's interesting because in, in the Mishnahis, it talks about what if somebody says, I'll bring a sacrifice for you. I'm a rich person. You're not a rich person. Can they be a shliach? It's not even, not even a shliach. For sure, they can be a shliach. But I'm going to buy the sacrifice for you if I am a rich person and you're a poor person. I think, I, if I remember the Mishnahis correctly, I have to buy a, 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 a rich person's sacrifice. But if a poor person says, I'm going to buy for a rich person, they only have to buy a poor person's sacrifice because that's all they could actually afford. Like, it's a whole conversation. Like, the, the, the place of where we fit into the reality is for sure a thing in Judaism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if you look at the first word in this Pasuk, what are you going to see? What was first Pasuk, first word. Go back to the beginning. That Chumash doesn't always do the things that doesn't always show the things that it needs to see. Do you see anything in your first word? Oh, like, um, very small olive. You see a very small olive on top? Yeah. Okay. Now it's not just a misprint here. It's actually in every single Sefer Torah, it is going to be a very little olive. It is, I think, a third of the size of a regular letter in Sefer Torah. And all the Farshim want to know, what's up with it? What's up with the small olive? So... So one of the, uh, I think it was from the, from like uh, one of the Hasidic Shurabayim, not Chabad, but he said, if you take a look, um, if you take a look at the wording of the Pasuk, it says, Vayikra al Moshe, and then it says, Vayidabra Hashem love, right? 
Is that the next word I'm missing? Yeah. After, right? Then I, then... Sometimes in life, the voice of Hashem, Aleph, Alufay Shal Oilam, which Aleph represents Hashem, sometimes that voice is very, very small in our life, and we don't somehow really hear it, but it's there, and at some point, it kicks in, and then we know, and then we, and then we sort of respond to it. So it was, then when you look back, you're like, oh my gosh, that's what all those little things were along the way. That was Hashem tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hello, can we have a relationship? Can you come a little closer to me? Right? So the, I think it's the Gemara that says that from, from Har Sinai, from after the revelation of Sinai, every single day, a voice comes out of heaven and says, Shuvu banim shayvim, return my wayward children. And the Baal Shem Tov wants to know, one second, Abrasi, and the Baal Shem Tov wants to know, what's the point of a voice that you don't hear? Because we don't hear it. We don't hear a voice, we don't hear Hashem's voice saying, come back, come back, right? So what's the point of saying it if we don't hear it? Well, we don't hear it. So like, what, what, what's going on here? And the Baal Shem Tov says that the voice goes out every single day and that is this, you know, sometimes we're inspired to do something. Sometimes we're inspired to like control ourselves. We're inspired to step into tshuva. We're inspired to like rise to the occasion. All of a sudden we hear the pintalyid. It's because our neshama was hearing that baskal all those years. And then it kicked in. So that's what the Baal Shem Tov says. That it's going, it has an effect, even if it isn't an obvious effect at us. And when we finally hear it, and when we finally hear by Yadabar Hashem, we hear Hashem speaking to us, and we look back, we say, oh, he was there all along. In that event, when I didn't take that job, when I moved to that location, all of those things that were, I don't even know why I made those decisions, that was Hashem sort of handling and leading me along the way. Amber, you had a question? I did, but I answered it myself. Okay, excellent. Okay. That's one thing. The other thing that's, that I think is very, very important in this first, if you cover the little olive, because it's really so little, you have another word. Vayaker. Vayikar, vayaker. What's the difference between vayaker and vayikra? Changing the prefix, right? Not the prefix, the suffix, if anything. That's what I meant. Yeah. But the other thing is, in, in Hebrew, because all these little things, it actually changes the word. It has the same root, but shorish. it doesn't... The shorish is the same, but something changes about it. Vayaker is like happenstance. I run into you in the shuk, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've met you here. This is such a coincidence. I, I, I was going to call you, and I just saw you, so let's chat over here on the shuk. That's Vayakir. Vayikra is when we actually pick up the phone and call somebody and say, I was thinking about you, and I wanted to touch base with you. That's Vayikra. In, this, in, 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 the, in the Chumash, we have the Parsha of Bilam, who is the biggest non-Jewish prophet we ever had. The word that is used when Hashem speaks to Bilam is Vayakir. I just... The way Hashem communicated with Bilam was like, oh, I happened, to, I happened to bump into you. Here's a message to pass on to the people, right? When Hashem speaks to Moshe, Hashem says, write Vayikra. I am purposefully connecting with you. And Moshe's like, I don't know. It's 
like kind of arrogant. It doesn't seem like the way to do things. I mean, it shows the relationship that Hashem has with the Jewish people compared to like. For sure, yeah. for sure. And Moshe was sort of like. So, Baker's just conversation that happened. It just happened. Okay. It just happens. Just, it just, okay. it, in, you know, happenstance, it just happened. It just, not, it wasn't purposeful. It just happened. And Moshe was like, I'm not so comfortable with like highlighting that relationship. So they bargain back and forth and Hashem's like, fine, put in a small olive. So the small olive is showing us Moshe's humility. Okay? Was now, Moshe known for Moshe was known for humility. He was known for his humility. Okay? But what's interesting, what's interesting is that when we talk about Moshe and humility, it wasn't like he didn't think of himself as a nothing. He didn't think like, oh, I had, he knew he spoke to God. He knew he had all these amazing qualities. What was the humility? He said, they are all gifts from Hashem. I'm only doing this. I'm able to do this because it's a gift from Hashem. What would somebody else have done with similar gifts? They probably would have done so much more. Yeah. So here, so Hashem's like, no, no, this is not a happenstance meeting. This is purposeful. I'm calling out to you. I want to have a relationship with you. And, and. So, they came, so Moshe's humility made it a little bit, you know, sort of in that middle space. The whole book is called Vayikra. Because Hashem is calling out to each and every one of us purposefully. He isn't happening, happening? That's not a real word. Yeah. yeah. I don't think so. He doesn't happen to just bump into us in the desert and say, oh, I would love to have a relationship with you, right? Hashem is purposefully calling out to each and every one of us wherever we are in our lives and he says, Yala, let's get close. Let's have a date. Let's hang out together. Let's get to know each other a little bit better. It's purposeful. It's not just once upon a time, sorry, once upon a time, Hashem spoke to Moshe, and this is what Hashem said to Moshe. The whole book is called Vayikra because he's calling out to each and every one of us all the time. And if we are opening our heart and our, I would say our heart more than our minds, then we're able to follow that and say, okay, Hashem, I, I'm going to choose you back. I want to do things to get closer to you. And, and that, and then, so one of the first things that we're going to say is like, let's look at what Hashem said. How do we have a relationship with Hashem? So that, that's, that was, uh, let's look into it. So when we talk about the sacrifices, we're, which are extremely, extremely uncomfortable to 2023, I want to just say, <laughs> you're good with it. It's okay. For everybody who's good with it, there are 10 people who are not okay with it. Um, I want to say, make a disclaimer, and then I'm going to, okay. I think more of us would have an easy time with sacrifices if we felt that animals were treated humanely all along the way. We, it, meaning the commercialization of mm-hmm. what's going on is, I think, what makes all of us uncomfortable, or many of us uncomfortable, as opposed to not all of us think it's, we're morally better than animals. Like, that's not where I'm coming from. Sometimes you look at what's going on in the industry, and we're like, mm, I'm so uncomfortable with that. Like, all those pieces of it. Not particularly uncomfortable, personally, with hierarchy of humans over animals. I'm not personally disturbed by that. If we understood that an animal could be offered up on, a, on the altar as a sacrifice Hashem, and elevate everything that they had been doing until then, all the food that they had eaten, all the grains, all the everything, then we would have a much less 
we'd have a hard, we'd have less of a hard time with sacrifices if we said animals are treated fairly, and then here's like, you know, what's your apex? You're the carbon pesach. You got to be the carbon pesach. Could you imagine how amazing that is for an animal to say, "You, I got to be the carbon pesach for the whole family." Like, whoa, that's awesome. Okay. Um, and really, when we talk about carbonus, that's really what the headspace is. The person isn't just saying, like, I'm going to just, Susan, one more, Susan. I'm not just going to say, I'm going to just, like, I'm going to just shut an animal and I'm going to get off scot free. When, when we talk about putting your hands on the animal, you know, you think like this, right? It's like this such a thing. It's not. It's like this. You're really holding it down. You're putting yourself into the conversation and saying, this should have been me. This should have been me. Yeah. I mentioned that she said when they gave the sacrifice, they, the people would get so connected to the animal. They, it was as if they were feeling the pain of the animal sacrifice. Like, I don't know. I'm not going to argue with Gila, but I don't know. Animal. I don't know. But what we had to do was to understand it's not just, oh, they're expendable and I'm not expendable, but it should have been me. I have to connect in a way to say it should have been me. Now, I want to back up first. Not back up, but I want to sort of segue a little bit like this and hope it makes sense at the end. What do we do about this today? Like we don't have, we currently don't have temple, we don't have sacrifices, so we could sit with our discomfort and it makes no difference, right? But, but, if I want to say, what actually of every single sacrifice got offered, of every single sacrifice that was offered, some of the olo, like we said, was totally consumed on the Mizbeach. But every sacrifice, whether it was eaten by the owner, partial, whatever, whatever was going on with it, every single sacrifice, the blood and the fat went onto the sacrifice. Every single sacrifice. The blood and the fat went onto the sacrifice. When we talk blood, what are we talking about? Animal soul. Animal soul. Our excitement. Our blood is running, right? When does your blood run? When you're very excited, very angry, very self, very, that's blood. When we talk about where is that blood, where are we passionate, where are we so excited for? Channel it Hashem. Channel it Hashem. What's fat? I know today nobody eats fat because it's blah, blah, blah. But fat makes things taste good. It's pleasure. Where do I get intense pleasure? You want to know the worth of a person? You want to know where they really are? What are they passionate about? And where do they get pleasure? Not what do they do. Not what they do. Not what do they do. What are they passionate about? And where do they get their pleasure? And if that is not God-directed, then Chobesh Vayikra and Parshish Vayikra specifically are coming to tell us, reroute, how does Way say? Rerouting you, right? You're headed in the wrong direction. If you're passionate about ice cream and you're not passionate about Shabbos, reroute. We need to refigure how this is going on. And that's what the sacrifices taught, teach us. There are some sacrifices that the entire sacrifice gets burnt up to Hashem. And in our lives, there are some moments, some shining moments where we are just consumed by love of Hashem. And that's where we are. But more of our life, I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb and say more of our life and for more of us, we like our little space. This is me. And there are sacrifices that say my blood, the blood and the fat, my passion and my, my enjoyment 
are in godly things, but there's part of the sacrifice that I get to enjoy. Maybe I get to only enjoy it. Sometimes I give it to the, the Kohen also, but that is part of our life. We have to understand that when we eat food and we can enjoy it, when our food is kosher and we use the energy for good things, we are bringing a sacrifice. We are coming close to Hashem in a permissible way. It's not like it, we have to just be like burning up with ecstasy. That's not really very sustainable. That's just not sustainable. Um, and in that place of coming close to Hashem, we have to understand what are we doing and are we moving in that direction and are we not moving in that direction? Question. In terms of, like, when we give the sacrifice to Hashem and, like, shed to the animal. So, like, in terms of also conscious, we can't eat this last kind of side. Is, would that be the same for, like, a sacrifice for Hashem? Would we not be able to give Hashem that part of the animal? Hashem eats, there's lots of stuff that goes on in the Mishkan and the Beis Hamikdash that, didn't have, that we don't have. Yeah. And it's, that's not a problem. The, the, most of the sacrifices are... They give like parts of the animal, and I think it is part of it. They don't have to take it out. They can give it to Hashem. We can't eat it, but Hashem can have it. Hashem doesn't eat it. Hashem doesn't eat it. It gets burned up for Hashem. Um, so that's one thing that I want to say. The second thing, and I want to tie it a little bit to what we said in the beginning, when we talk about children starting to learn Vayikra, and you're like, what's going on with that? Because it's not... Wouldn't it be like exciting if you started like with creation or the plagues or something like exciting? This is not exciting stuff. I mean, we're going through it and it's a little hard to like get excited about it, right? But one of the first things that we want to teach children is the place of a connection, A, carbon as a connection to Hashem. From whatever age your education starts, we want to teach children about a connection to Hashem. And the other thing we want to teach them, and we have to sort of get it in early and get it in under the, sort of under the radar a little bit, is this place of sacrifice. This place of what am I, it doesn't have, I think especially for whatever, I'm not going to point at generations or anything, but I think it's so hard for 2023 children they, they, it, to be told that they have to not have something that's what a sacrifice is. A sacrifice is I'm going to give up something for Hashem. I'm going to, meaning, it's, it's, I'm not going to do this on, because it's Shabbos. I'm not going to do this because it's not kosher. I, all of those places of sacrifice, those are not easy lessons to be, to have to live with. And if we start to give it to the education of our children from day Ephes, essentially, from like, from the beginning, it just doesn't become a question. It becomes part of the fabric of how their lives are and they don't, you know, please God, that and a lot of Tehillim gives us some children who are, uh, you know, productive members of society. Do you think that children who like, don't learn this like early, do you think they have a bit more of a hesitation towards accepting like, the concept of sacrifices and that concept? Of using them to connect to the show. Okay, so I, I want to say that I don't know that it has... First of all, most schools don't actually teach this first. It's because it's just so hard to get kids excited about it. I think that the place... I think that it's not true of did I learn this or did I not learn this. The bigger question, the zoom out question is what, are the, what is the value system that I was raised with? 
If we raise our children as little princes and princesses and queens and we just dance around them and assume they could do no wrong, I'm not saying we shouldn't have our children's back and whatever, but I feel like that leaning in towards their self-esteem, which is very important, but like balance with responsibility, balance with, you know, respect for others, respect for property, like being of service. All of those things are values that can come from any place. And if we aren't, wherever we're getting a value, you know, a good value, it's a good value. Whether, like, ultimately, maybe we can trace it all back to Torah, but it doesn't matter if our parents gave us a value that was a good value, but we can't point to the Pusik that they learned. Like, it's okay. Because I think giving our kids good values of being helpful, of being all those good things, that's what's very important. And makes us hopefully less selfish. That and a lot of prayer. I'm just going to say that again. That and a lot of prayer. Okay? Um, so that was one thing I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about that place of where's our passion, where's our pleasure. The other thing I want to talk about is in, uh, in Pusik Bays. No, not Pusik Bays. In, in, in Chapter 2. Chapter 2. Um... Okay, one second. Okay, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. And we're talking about the mincha offerings, which are we, th- we said are the grain offerings. Um, random, random fun fact, as we come close to Pesach, do you know that there was never, ever chametz brought in, brought on the Mizbeach? Ever. Ever, ever. All the times you talk about bread... It's versions of matzah. Now, it's not all hard Ashkenazi. I say it's not all hard, you know, Ashkenazi matzahs. It doesn't have to, like, whatever. But some, it's never actual chametz, okay? It could be a deep, some bread and water situation with oil fried. It could be baked. It could be this. It's never chametz. In fact, the lechem aponim, the, the, the showbread, is not chametz. It's very thick, uh, it's not chametz. The showbread yeah. is not actual chametz. It's bread and water and whatever else you know they do, but it's not chametz. They never have to kasher the base. They never have. Well, they they have to kasher the It's interesting. They they actually they speak about um, they speak about after after uh, yuntif they used to cut they used to table everything in the base of Mikdash in case people came close who were tummy who didn't know the rules law you know well enough. So there was a place you did have to kasher the base of Mikdash, but not for chametz. Um, so that was um, so that was just a fun fact. Okay, so if you take a look, so now we're talking about these grain offerings. It's a mincha. It's a gift mincha, like mincha prayer, which it's called mincha because it's a gift in the middle of the day of our our hard time, right? So here's a mincha offering. And one of the things, if you take a look in Yud Aleph, Pasuk, uh, verse 11, it says, mm-hmm. Every single mincha offering that you bring to Hashem, what does it say? Chana? Any meal offering that you offer to Hashem shall not be prepared leavened, for you shall not cause to go up in smoke from any leavening or fruit honey as a fire offering to Hashem. Right, so if you see in the Hebrew, it says, No leaven." Or honey can be uh, brought up on the altar. Okay, keep going. You shall offer them as a first fruit offering to Hashem, but they may not go up upon the altar for a satisfying aroma. You shall salt every meal offering with salt, 
You may not discontinue the salt of your God's covenant from upon your meal offering. On your every offering shall you offer salt. Okay, so three interesting additives. Two we can and one we can't. Okay, we cannot put on leaven, leavening agents or honey. And we can, yes, put on salt. In fact, the Torah says every single sacrifice has to have salt. Fun, fun based on Mikdash fact, there is a sacrifice of, you can bring a sacrifice of trees, of wood, of wood. Okay? And if you do, you put salt on it. Seasoning it. You season the, you season the wood. Every single sacrifice has to have salt. So the Chachamim want to know, and Hasidus asks, what's the difference? Why can we say yes to the salt and not to the leaven or to the honey? Okay? Leavening of some kind of, you know, yeasting agent or this, any kind of sweetener situation. Okay? So Hasidus explains that. What's the di- First of all, what's the difference? What's the difference between leaven? We're coming to Pesach. What does leaven do? It rises. It gives us. It's Arab Pesach. We, got, we must have learned this lesson ten times. Ego, gaiva, all those kind of nice words, right? I can't believe we're coming to the end of your Pesach class and nobody even came up with that quickly. Okay. Oh, okay. Reseder. Fine. But you've heard this concept once or twice or ten times already, right? Okay. So, so it's interesting that, uh, that the place of a leavening agent... It, it changes, the, it changes the, the, the item to be something that it isn't, or to portray itself as something that it, act, it isn't actually. And the same thing with the sweetener. It, it's, it's an additive that changes it. And in our behavior, sometimes we think we just have to go along with what everybody's doing. We're going to just be the nice people. We're going to just buy the sweetness regardless of what's going on. It's not, it's going to sort of not be true to who we are, but I'm not saying not to be a nice person when you don't want to be a nice person. I'm not saying that. But sometimes the place of the sweetener or the leaven, we, we portray ourselves as not what we really are in two different extremes. Sometimes we might be stricter. Sometimes we might be sweeter. All of those things, we're not really who we are. What do we know is the main property of salt for any of the cooks amongst us? What does salt do? Besides the perverse, besides it, it draws out the flavor. Okay? It draws out the flavor that is already there. It doesn't add to it. It says, who are you existentially? And how do we bring it out to the how do we bring it out to to the forefront? And that's what the difference is. When we're talking about carbon behavior that we want to try to um, actualize, implement, all those kind of nice words, is my behavior, is what I'm doing, is the sacrifice that I'm doing bringing me more to who I am or is it covering up for something that I don't want to get into? Sometimes we act in a way just everything's beautiful and everything's wonderful and nobody says what's going on because it's all sweet and wonderful. If that is what our behavior is, meaning we're just using it as a cover, then that's not a good thing. If we're just saying, we're, 
We're great. We're wonderful. We're levit. Everything's wonderful. Everything's amazing. Right? We missed the point. So, and, and I want to say, as women, this is such a fine balance. Because there are so, in everybody's life, you're always asked for sacrifice. You're always asked for, to give and to give and to give. And that's really what sacrifice is. So if we are in a position and our giving is a version of closeness, it's karban, it's bringing us closer to the people, it's bringing out who we really are. It's not us sugarcoating the situation. Oh, that's right, that's the word, it's the sugar. We're not just sugarcoating the situation. We're not just inflating the, the value. We're not, we're really bringing out horror. Then we know that the sacrifice is what we're supposed to be doing. Because, you know, we live in a neighborhood where people believe that there are certain sacrifices that, you know, are good for them to do that we look at it and we're like, that's really weird. Like, blowing yourself up to go, you know, to heaven or to different types of things. I'm not, I'm not even like, there's so many examples of weird sacrifices. Not, not killing things always, but different things that people say, oh, this is the way to live. This is what I should do. And we're like, I don't know. We need to double check ourselves all the time. Not in, a, not in like doubt ourselves. Now I'm saying double checking, but I'm saying, and we've spoken about this so many times in so many different versions of where as women do we have healthy boundaries and that we're able to give and give from a place that is good for us. Salt, salt on its own is gross. You don't really want to eat a spoon of salt for anything. The body needs it for all different kinds of other things. And it really does bring out, we all know, you're cooking and everything's like a little bit, eh? Before you try anything, add some salt and see what happens, right? Um, and that's really what we have to say. In this place of where we're giving, are we giving from a place that is bringing us to a fuller place of fulfillment, of potential, of bringing out who we are? Because if it is, then it's a good thing to, maybe not always, take it up with your therapist, but to, it, 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 then, then we're in a good, a good thing. And if it's something that we're just sort of, you know, throw a, throw a tablecloth over like all the junk and now it's all clean, then we're, we're not in, then it's not a carbon. Then it's not drawing close. It's not helping us get closer. It's covering up and it's not bringing closer. So that was something that I also wanted to point out because it's so interesting, like, Yes to the salt, no to the sugar, no to the leavening. What's going on? And I thought when I saw that, I was like, oh, that is really beautiful. I think that's something that we can really, because, because sacrifices are weird. They're just weird. Is there any specific Everything. Everything, okay? So let's go back to the beginning. Funny you should ask. Okay. Go back to the beginning for a second, okay? Um, so Hashem says, to, okay? Go to Pasuk Bays, chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, speak to the people, the Jewish people, and say to them, Adam Kiakov Mikem Karban Hashem, a person from amongst you who wants to bring a sacrifice to Hashem, um, uh, you should bring from the, oh, from the animal, from the buckar, from the tongue, bring, bring your thing. Does anybody look at the English, I don't know if they already changed the English around, but if you look at the Hebrew, it's awkward Hebrew. It says, Adam Kiakov Mikem a person who will bring from amongst you a sacrifice to Hashem. That's actually not, it's not English, and it actually isn't even Hebrew. But Hasidus says, no, that's what a carbon is. Adam, kiakru mikem. You want to bring a sacrifice? 
It has to be from you. It has to be from you. And what are we going to bring to Hashem? What are we going to offer up to Hashem? What's the next line? Min ha-behema, min ha-bakar, min There's all different kinds of animals. You know, we talk about our animal soul. We like to think of our animal soul as, <laughs> I don't know, like a one-dimensional animal soul. But we know that there are many different kinds of animals in the world, right? And our animal soul has versions of all of those. The times that we are enraged, that animal, we know that animal. We know that bull and how the damage they do. What about the sheep animal? I'm going to just follow along with what everybody else does. That's also an animal. All the, you know, the, the running around, all, every single animal that we see in the world, we have a version of that. And when, we ha- when the first thing Hashem says, you want to come close to me, the first thing you need to start to give up is some of that animal. The first thing that you need to start to say, what am I giving to Hashem? My, my sheep, my docility, my, the Torah lists three different like, species of animals. Behemoth, the big domestic animals, the bucker, the sheep, the, no, bucker is, hmm, what are bucker? Somebody give me. Sign is sheep, so what are the bucker? Who has English? Um, from the animals, from the animals, and from the animals. They don't say that. Um, from the cattle? From cattle? Cattle, goats, sheep. Okay, so cattle are the big animals. The then cows, they, the bulls. Then they flocked for flocked sheep and goats. Sheep and goats. And then we have... No, Tzoyin is sheep. Tzoyin is sheep. So the flock is probably the goats and the other... You know, because they're different. Right? Um... Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's interesting. I want to just point out of the of kosher animals, these are the only three domesticated species that we have. All the other all the other kosher animals are wild. A deer, giraffe. Maybe deer fits into here someplace. I don't know. But like giraffes or buffalo or all different kinds of other animals. What? No, they actually consider very relaxed. What? She thinks domesticated means a relaxed animal. No, 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 no. Domesticated, well, the, in the definition that they give in, like, the literature, I don't know, not, not the biological literature, is, like, domesticated animals are animals that hang out in herds so that they're able to be... Okay, but I'd say they're able to be sort of brought together and then, over time, they get some version of... Not all of them get... Bulls are not calm, but the sheep are, and the goats are not, so... So Hasidus says the first thing that we have to do is that we have to understand, like we started from the beginning, we're not just saying, I'm going to just take an animal and I'm going to kill an animal and everything's going to be okay. Where in me is this behavior? Where is this animal? I'm going to bring a sheep. I'm going to bring a goat. I'm going to bring an ox. I'm going to bring a bull. I'm going to bring a cow. Where in me is this behavior that I need to say, I need to temper it. Sometimes I need to say, Hashem, this is all for you. Sometimes we need to say, Hashem, part of it is for you and part of it is still for me because I need to function. And all of those things, uh, we have to first, we don't, we don't just say, we're going to give a sacrifice. It's mikem. It's coming from within you. It's coming from within, it's coming from within me. If it's not coming from within me, then we miss the point. And then it was, 
it, and, then, and then it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. My kids say, Mom, you always give the same examples. I'm like, because it's a good example, right? Um, it's very interesting. And Mishnah said, I've been learning, and I did a whole section on Carbonus, and it, there's, and I was like freaking out. I'm like, we're in such trouble because so much relies on the intention of the Kayin and what's going on. And if you did it with your right hand or your left hand, you mixed it in this direction, it's like, whoa, right? But within a carbon, every single thing has to be lined up. You have to be focused. The Kayin has to be focused. All the steps have to be done properly along the way. And I always say, and this I said, my kids complain. I'm like, if you send an email to somebody and you write amberfirestein at gmail.com, it ain't going no place. What did you leave out? Now a little, a, sorry, a little tiny dot. I left out a dot. It is the smallest thing on the keyboard. It's nothing. It's insignificant. But it didn't go anyplace. It didn't do anything. And our carbon is exactly the same thing. If everything is lined up, then our email goes straight to Hashem. And if it's not exactly, if I space out, if the cayenne spaces out, see, that was what was freaking me out. The cayenne spaces out and doesn't have the right intention, whatever. But we'll deal with how Mashiach comes. We have to fight with the cayenne. Right? You got to know the cayenne that you're giving it to. Ready, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like. <laughs> I mean, that's a big pressure in Quran to always. It's a very big pressure. It's a very big pressure. Like the well, I know, but there's also lots of kohanim who are not being trained and whatever. So, yeah, it's a big stress. But, um, but it's, it's we're, you know, all those words that we use today of consciousness and mindfulness and focus and purpose, it all comes together in a carbon. It all comes together. Everybody is so on point and focused or it doesn't work. And it's, it doesn't achieve the atonement that it's supposed to happen. That's supposed to happen. So here we are. It's Rish Chaydish Nisan. I want to give us so, first of all, so many, so many brachas. But I want to also, um, I want to tap a little bit into what we did today because we, we Pesacht our house and our school. And is that, that's my new word. I'm coining. We Pesacht. And I think like a lot of the stuff that we did and this is going to be true of everything that we do towards Pesach. Some of it you look at and you're like, how is this Pesach? Why is this? And I think that we sit in the space that was Pesach and we feel different. We feel, first of all, the pride that we did it. Not in a bad way pride, but in a good way pride. Accomplishment pride. Um, but also, and, and this is my bracha to us, as we go, because we did public spaces, that as we go in Pesach, our private space, that we understand, yes, we're looking for chametz, but also we're looking for the cleansing and the restart and the refreshing within us that going through our stuff entails. When we look at our possessions, when we handle things, when we wipe down surfaces and we say, oh my gosh, this is here behind all of these things. I forgot I had this. It's a time for us to reflect and to say, does this reflect who I am? Am I the person that I want to be? What is the steps that I need to do? What chametz do I need to get rid of in order to clear the path to get to be that person? So my first bracha is just as we did our Pesachim together with so much love and music and laughter and ease. That's how it should be as we go through our stuff, as we go through our heart and minds and stuff and say, how do we get ready for Pesach? 
We should do it with love and laughter and music and ease. That's my first bracha to all of us, including me, who has to go tackle her house by herself. <laughs> um, that's one thing. And the other thing that I want to give us a bracha, and all, it's really all coming together. Like, we're starting Nisan, and, and, and we're, you know, we're, the sacrifices are being started. Moshe, they're starting to inaugurate the Mishkan today. Today, on the first day of Nisan, the Mishkan, that's what these Nisim were doing. When they inaugurated the Mishkan in the year 2449, it started today. Is this timing coincidence or like on purpose? What? Like the Mishkan was inaugurated today, which means we're able to do Corbans. We, oh, oh, no, it just worked that. Fayyukra happens to be this week. No, it's. Is it coincidence or like. No, it sometimes works out that way, but this is this is beautiful. We're starting Vayikra on the day that they started to that they started to you know inaugurate the, the mission. Also, it's our partial class. Like Vayikra actually started at the beginning of the week, but we're not going to mess a good vart. Um, and and so I want to give us two brachas that are connected. First of all, we should feel Hashem calling us in our life. We're starting the book of Vayikra. It is what puts spine into our relationship with Hashem. It's what puts our backbone in there that gives us that ability. How many times have I said to you, Jewish women, stand up tall and proud. None of the scrunching in pictures. Stand up tall and proud. This, we get our spine from Hashem calling to us and saying, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to get close to you. I want to get to know you. I want you to get to know me. I want to give us a bracha that we stand tall and we hear Hashem's voice, not in a place that you need medication, but just in the way that we hear that voice inside us that says, I know who I am. I know where I'm supposed to be headed. I know that I want to, you know, I know the next step that I need to take in the journey, even if I don't have the final destination. I hear Hashem's voice and I'm following it. I want to give a set bracha um, for all of us. And, and to be courageous. And the things that we have to give back to Hashem, pieces that we, the animals in us that we need to say, okay, Hashem, this one I'm going to give, this I'm going to give you. We should be courageous enough to step up into that. And as we finish our class, I want to give the biggest mazel tov to Adina, Rivka, Elisheva, um, on, for just, she should have so much love and bracha and revealed goodness in her life. And we all, amen, have an awesome rest of the day.